Thank you. You may be seated. It is good to have you out tonight. And it's good to have all of our folks coming by way of live stream. We've got folks on YouTube, folks on Facebook, people that will be viewing later on. Praise the Lord for that. I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight. Come on in. Make yourself right at home. Thank you once again for your faithfulness. Uh, folks have been sending in their tithes, bringing their tithes and offerings over and above, for which we certainly praise the Lord. We're so very, very, very thankful. Had a good viewing audience this week. Uh, praise the Lord on all of our uh, different uh, programs that we have offered. And a lot of folks have tuned in to the song, What Shall It Profit a Man? and are passing it along to others and being blessed by that wonderful truth. There is nothing wrong with America that can't be cured by old-fashioned Bible preaching. Nothing in this country. Don't despair, folks. Don't go into doom and gloom and think it's all over and pull the plug. I have found that if I honor God's Word, His book, then the God of the Word honors us, and He has. He has, he has employed me, called me. He has empowered me by the Spirit of whom we just sang. I'm God's man, and He's done so for one purpose, not for self-aggrandizement, uh, but to edify the saints and to enable the people of God to empower them to effectively evangelize this lost and dying world. That's why we're here. We're here to be equipped, to be enabled. And the Spirit of God has been provided for that purpose. It was Harold Linzel who uh, wrote some, some great stuff back in the 1960s and 70s. He said this, Regardless of the day or the hour, whether in seeming good times or bad, the Christian lives in the world for the good of the world and for the sake of the world. In other words, to lead them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to leave a legacy. Uh, whether we plan it or not, we ought to plan on it. I want to speak to all of you from my heart tonight and just say this. Uh, for quite some time, not that I have an old spirit or an old attitude or an old view, but... Uh, I've got one foot in the historic past and one foot in the future as God moves us forward. And I know that it is a very big part of my being here to leave a legacy for those coming behind me. And everybody in this room is going to leave a legacy. Uh, and it ought to be something that people can point to and say, uh, they were here, they lived for God. God worked through them, the Holy Spirit of God made a difference through them and touched my heart and my life. One of those legacies, of course, is the very Word of God. And uh, many of you have given, whenever we've had special giving for Bibles, we've sent thousands of these Bibles around the world. And in English and other good translations in other languages that parallel our King James Bible, we have placed in the hands of new believers hardback copies of the Holy Bible, all 66 inspired and preserved books, and many of these are pastors and full-time workers, and this is the first and only such hardback Bible 
that they have or will ever own, and you made it possible. That is a legacy. Someday in heaven, they'll walk up to you and say, you made it possible for me to have, for us to have one of these in our home, whether it's a thatched roof hut over on some faraway continent or whether it's one of these in a mission church somewhere in the United States of America, you have made a difference. It is your spiritual privilege and legacy. I'm also holding in my hand right here a copy of the Word of God that we have had a part in the translation of. This is the Ukrainian New Testament, and praise the Lord, it has been completed and dedicated now. I have the Popchenko's prayer letter, and they are working, get this, on the Old Testament now. And Brother Yura Popchenko has two of his four sons helping with the translation already. They have already begun to learn to translate Hebrew into English in preparation for Hebrew into Ukrainian. They're doing a great work for God. This is part of your legacy. This is part of what we're leaving behind. Now, I don't know when Jesus is coming. I expect that it's soon. But if He doesn't come back in my lifetime and I go to be with God by way of the grave, I, I hope, I trust, and I pray that many others will join us there in heaven because of such a legacy. And then I just got to mention this one right here. Uh, I was glad to, to see that uh, there is uh, an advertisement for the smile track, the smile face track, and it mentions that uh, we had distributed tens of thousands of the old uh, smile track, and then it went out of business. The folks in Fort Worth died off, and, and, uh, and there was nobody to continue the work, and for a period of time, uh, we just kind of wondered what to do, and then the Lord opened it up for us as part of the, this legacy that I'm talking about. Uh, to, to take the track, to edit it, to revise it, and now praise the Lord. Tens of thousands of these are going out all over the world through many different efforts, and uh, the eventual goal is 30 languages covering 80% of the world's population. There, there is a legacy. There is a Holy Spirit-directed legacy that we have, and thank God for that. I was uh, just reading... Uh, J. Frank Norris today. J. Frank Norris, of course, was known as the Texas Tornado. He was a great preacher in the beginning part of the 20th century. For the first half of the century, he made his mark down in Fort Worth, Texas and around the world. And he preached in a, a, a number of great campaigns as well as pastored the two largest churches and Sunday schools in the world simultaneously at the same time. He would fly between Detroit and Fort Worth, back and forth, and pastored the two largest, greatest soul-winning churches of his day. Think about that. He certainly was a yielded vessel. But I was reading his message on the Holy Spirit. I thought it was timely. I like to read four or five messages a week from different old-timers, and so I was, I was reading this. The Holy Spirit, he says, is a divine person equal with God, Father, God, the Son. Uh, he gives verses. Uh, so it shows the five personal pronouns in John 14, 16, and 17. And uh, then he says, Baptism shows the burial and resurrection of Christ and sets forth the equality of the Trinity. And he gives the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He shows the Trinity was present and equal in the virgin birth, present and equal in the atonement, 
present and equal in the resurrection, present and equal in the second coming, present and equal in the creation. And he goes on and on. 21 points. How would you like to sit through a 21-point message? J. Frank Norris was famous for going into a campaign and he would preach an entire week on one subject. Just get all the different points. He would just draw everything out of the Scriptures. And on the subject of the Holy Spirit, he preached for one solid week in the greatest campaign ever held in the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, Texas. And as a result of that, many thousands were saved and added to the church. Yes, the Comforter has come. I want you to take your Bibles tonight. We're going to turn to the passage of Scripture where we have been for a number of weeks in the book of Galatians and Paul writes the book of Galatians by inspiration uh, to the churches of southern Turkey where folks have been saved but now have been confused by a false teacher, a heretic, who's come around and said, you've got to add to the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, you've got to, you've got to be a Jew. You've got to take on Jewish rituals all of these rituals, of course, being signs and symbols of Jesus Christ to come. But nevertheless, he taught falsely that you had to add to the simplicity that is in Christ. And of course, that's false teaching. Galatianism then and Galatianism now is a great peril. It is a terrible heresy to add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone saves and He is our salvation. I'm in Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin tonight in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Please follow as I read. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill or carry out the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, fill me now. Help me as I bring a message on all of those works of the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. Lord, help us to positively do that as we yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This is a critical passage of Scripture has to do with the believer's walk. When you think of a person's walk, their gait, you think of it being characteristic of that person. You can tell a person by their walk. My walk is very distinctive. I have taken on that walk of my father before me. But uh, the walk is the pattern, and the walk here is the pattern of life. It has to do with our living. It has to do with what we do and who we are. And this all has to do with conquering the flesh. Our walk ought to be in the Holy Spirit of God and not in the flesh. Not in the flesh. The writer, the Apostle Paul, speaks of this conflict between the Spirit of God, who is <coughs> indwelling our spirit, and the flesh, which is the old Adamic nature, as a sort of tug of war. 
And if you've ever had uh, that conflict in you, you know about the tug of war. Paul also covered this in the book of Romans in the 7th chapter. I want you to turn there with me. The 6th chapter and the 8th chapter are wonderful chapters of doctrinal truth. You're going to soar to the heights with the apostle as he writes by inspiration. But in the 7th chapter, we come crashing down to earth because the reality is that we all have a struggle in some area of our Christian walk. And it says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, For that which I do I allow not, for what I would that do I not, but what I hate that do I. Talk about being conflicted. This is every human being who comes to God through Christ, who gets saved by grace through faith, we still possess the old nature. And we, we exercise and operate in the realm of the old nature when we fail to yield to God, fail to yield to the Holy Spirit moment by moment. That's it. It is a discipline. It is something that we must, must consciously do. Yield to the Spirit of God. Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. In other words, Paul is saying there, as he says to the Galatians, that if you are constantly lapsing from the control of the Holy Spirit, which is part of the new birth and yielding to God, then what you're doing is you're living in, in the old realm. You're not living in the new. You're not under the new covenant. You've you've lapsed back into the old. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now the word sin here uh, is clear. We understand this is the sin nature. The underlying text uh, includes the definite article. So it is the sin, the sin nature, in other words. Sin that dwelleth in me. Not individual acts of sin that we've committed that may be residing in us or lurking or whatever, temptation to sin, but rather the sin nature. The sin nature is real. Now, you may question why God would leave us in such a state, having a sin nature. And God, in His divine wisdom, has given us the opportunity to live above the sin nature, to live on a higher plane, in a higher realm. But it requires trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So it comes down to our responsibility. This has nothing to do with staying saved. Our being saved and staying saved is all of grace. We have nothing to do with it. And our lack of obedience does not in any way put us at risk of losing salvation, which is hidden God in Christ. We, we don't have that option. We're not going to fall out of salvation. That's not a problem. But we will not have victory. We will not have rewards. We will not be the example that we ought to be. So it is a discipline, a moment-by-moment yielding to the Spirit of God. For I know, Paul says in verse 18 of Romans chapter 7, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, my flesh nature, dwelleth no good thing. He's not saying that in his human existence there's no good thing. No, there, there are good things about believers. Every bit of it came from God. It's not of our doing, but it's because the, the work, the continuing work of the Lord in and through our life, and there are good things. We see improvement. We see people stepping up and, and growing in grace and serving the Lord with gladness and 
doing, I mean, things that we would never been able to do on our own. Obviously, this is the work of grace in and through us, and thank God for it. But in our flesh, in our sin nature, that is, there is no redeemable quality. There's no good thing in the sin nature. For to will is present with me, and that's because of God. He works in us to will and to do of His own good pleasure. So the, the will, you see, is God working in and through our will. There it is, is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. So he is admitting a struggle. Think about that. The greatest Christian that we have record of in history is saying, this is tough. This is not an easy call. Living for Jesus every day requires the discipline of yielding to the Spirit of God. And it's not in my own human capability or power. I have to yield to the Lord. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin, the sin nature that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Never get away from that. When, when Paul said that he was the chief of sinners, he was not saying that by comparison with you or with me, that he had done something so much worse than we may have done. He was not even comparing. Every one of us individually must view himself or herself. We must view ourselves as the chief of sinners. That's the right attitude, the proper um, posture that we should assume in this case. Never get to the point that we feel that we have arrived. Uh, Paul covered that in Philippians chapter 3. I have not apprehended that for which I am apprehended. He continued to press on, and this is a continual uh, pressing on on our part as well. He says, uh, uh, he says, uh, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. In other words, falling back again, living like he'd never been saved in the first place. People get to the point where they get so discouraged with the end result that some people may even wonder uh, if they've been saved, they may doubt their assurance of salvation. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now here is the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where the victory is. We have victory in Jesus Christ. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So God is working in and through us to help us to come to a, a, a better uh, understanding of how the mechanics of the Christian life actually work. Like walking, we, we develop a pattern. And we need to walk in the Spirit, directed by, guided by the Spirit of God. In Romans chapter 8, uh, it says in verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be filled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So walk in the Spirit means that when you have... Uh, fallen from that steadfastness and you have backslidden and you have grieved the Spirit of God, then that spiritual life or pattern that you have abandoned is what we need to seek as we allow the Lord to have control. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, he says, if the Spirit of God dwells and rules in our heart the, the whole carnal process. 
See, if the Spirit of God is ruling, then the carnal process takes back seat. But if we allow the carnal process to become our pattern again, we fall back into that old pattern, that old way of thinking and so forth, then the flesh is ruling. And though we haven't lost our salvation, we've lost our testimony, we've lost our fellowship, we've lost our victory, we've lost our joy. And that is a huge price tag for us to have to pay. Just like a, a path that we take through the woods, this is a, a path that we need to be on. So in Galatians 5, we have 17 works of the flesh. Notice the differentiation. Later on, we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit, but the flesh, works of the flesh, it's not a, it's not a, a wonderful, growing, natural thing, but instead it's a, it's a terrible, awful, mechanical thing. We have adultery, which, of course, refers specifically here to sexual sin between married people. Fornication uh, is, is uh, separated from adultery here because it represents sexual sins primarily between unmarried people, but can also include things like homosexuality and other sexual perversion. Uncleanness is impurity. Lasciviousness is sensuality. Idolatry is the worship of anything, any idea, any person that comes between us and God's perfect will for us. Now, witchcraft, that's interesting because the word witchcraft here in the underlying text is pharmakia. It's similar, as you can see, to pharmacy. So it can refer to you know, the practice of witchcraft or Satanism, demonism, but it can also refer to drug usage and drug abuse, which seems to be, you talk about pandemics, that seems to be the pandemic now, that, uh, of course, uh, weed has been uh, totally and completely accepted throughout uh, most levels of society. has become legal in many places, and uh, that's unfortunate. So it's going to reflect in time to come. We're going to see this. Drug abuse. Hatred has to do with uh, the, the way we think evil of others. We literally kill them, Jesus says, in our minds and in our hearts. Variances refers to... Uh, to, the, to the God of strife here, the God of strife. Emulations has to do with jealousy. Wrath has to do with a, a, a anger, temper tantrum, boiling over. And I know nobody here has that. Strife has to do with bickering. Bickering, just yammer, 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 okay? And seditions has to do with divisions. I think about back in Proverbs. Turn there with me to Proverbs chapter 6. This passage of Scripture comes up so often. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. What we have pictured here is the kind of person back in the uh, playground days where you, there was always somebody, male or female, that would basically get, let's you and you, you know, like this, let's you and you fight, and I'll stand back and watch. They, they get you in a fight, sowing discord among the brethren. And teasing can really take on a cruel aspect. And this kind of rubbing people the wrong way and starting fights, uh, dissensions, that's what seditions is all about. Heresies, of course, we know that Heresy is any false teaching contrary to the mainstream of Bible belief. But it's also, it also is a word that refers to people who are unnecessarily stubborn or bullheaded. 
Now it's good to be stubborn and bullheaded about the truth, but what about having your way? What about just say it's got to be my way or the highway? That's heresies too as well. Envyings has to do with coveting, and that's a violation of, of uh, the Tenth Commandment, of course. And then murders, unlawful killing, taking life, uh, and drunkenness is, uh, of course, what happens when we're rendered absolutely helpless by strong drink or some other uh, influence, some other substance. All right. So these, these uh, various works of the flesh are pretty prevalent. When you think about it, everybody in this room and everybody viewing by YouTube and Facebook, you are aware of somebody or several somebodies that are guilty of these things. Many, if not all of these things. So we have, we have a problem, especially when Paul is addressing those who have professed to receive Christ. And he is saying, now if you're depending upon the flesh, the flesh is what got you into this mess, it's sure not going to get you out of this mess. What we need is the power of the Spirit of God in and through our life. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit because the Comforter has come. I wonder how many of us, if, um, if we were suddenly imprisoned and our Bible and everything godly was taken from us, how much would we possess by virtue of our memory of the things that we've been taught? Pilate was shot down over Vietnam. His name was Howard Rutledge. And he was imprisoned in a cage by the enemy for seven years. During that time, he said he saw many of his comrades simply just lie down, assume a fetal position, and die. Just lose their will to live. In that horrible, horrible place where their daily ration of food included everything putrid and the, the most nourishing thing that Howard Rutledge remembered receiving during those seven years pig fat. So it was just terrible. It was awful. They would constantly berate them, mock them, torture them, just give them a terrible time. So many of his comrades did die, but Howard did not. What sustained him was his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had gotten away from actively serving the Lord. He wasn't walking in the Spirit. And even though his walk was greatly limited in that cage that they kept him and the little bit of liberty that they would give him whenever they would let him out. He learned to walk in the spirit and he prayed and begged God to bring back to his memory the things that he had learned as a boy in Sunday school where he had received Christ as his savior. And he began little by little as the spirit of God brought it back to his memory. He began to reconstruct parts of the Bible that he had memorized. What kind of shape would we be in if we were suddenly thrust into an imprisonment like that? No Bible. He began to quote scriptures and share scriptures with his comrades. And he began to sing songs. How many of the verses of The Comforter Has Come would you know if you were suddenly put in prison you didn't have a hymn book? He began to put songs together, little by little. He began to reconstruct them, remembering 
the Holy Spirit bringing to his mind the words of those songs. There came a torrential rain. He had already constructed a hymnal in his heart and mind of 36 almost complete hymns, verses, and choruses. When this thunderstorm just came blowing across the camp, and then he remembered and he thanked the Lord. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing. Sent from the Savior above. Sing it with me. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. And during his seven years of cruel imprisonment, he went on to recall many verses of Scripture, many verses and choruses, the words of gospel songs from his childhood as the Holy Spirit brought those words, those thoughts, those concepts to the surface. You know what? In the middle of the night, sometimes I'll begin to think of the words of songs and the words of verses in the middle of the night. And I get a little discouraged because everything doesn't work as well as it used to, but then all of a sudden it's like a flash of light and the Holy Spirit brings the words, brings the verse, brings the rest of it. The enemy, just like Howard Rutledge's captors, knows how to defeat us in our spirit, in our mind, in our heart, to discourage us, to tell us that we're not winning, we're really losing. We're not gaining ground, we're really losing ground. Truth of the matter is, all the Lord requires of you and me, you out there who are viewing, all He requires is what? Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All that list, laundry list of 17 different sins of the old sin nature that are just waiting to recoil and strike again and again and again and bring us deeper and deeper into gloom and defeat, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh if we walk in the Spirit. May I recommend something to you? And that is, even though our Bible has not been taken from us, and our songbook has not been taken from us, how about sometime at home, start thinking of all the verses and portions of Scripture that you can quote. Just start quoting them. Think of all the songs that you've been singing from early on until the present time. Gospel songs and hymns and choruses. Start singing them. Start singing them and try to recall them and bring them back to the surface and say, Holy Spirit, help me. And like a flash of light, there it comes. There it comes. What if we didn't have a Bible? What if the only Bible we had was the one we'd memorized? What if we didn't have a songbook? The only one 
would be the one that we had committed to memory. The Bible says very clearly that unrighteousness will not inherit the blessings and the rewards of the kingdom. This has to do with joy here and now, peace, satisfaction, balance here and now. And then it has to do with rewards later on, forever and ever and ever and ever. I believe that God wants us right now, right now, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and please nobody looking. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. 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 God helping us. Let's, let's do exactly what we challenged tonight, the believers, to do. Let's make the Word of God and the gospel songs that are part of the fabric of our Christian life, let's make these uh, a part of our heart and mind, bring them to the surface, and let's walk in the Spirit, and let's be led of the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, the old sinful nature. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God? Something like this, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, would you slip your hand up, anyone at all? Amen.